0: Good to see you here tonight. Good to see you here. Please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter number 12, Hebrews chapter number 12. And so uh, I wonder if the weather's made up its mind here in this part of Georgia. The wind lightened up just a little bit and it was nice and warm, just a beautiful day. And uh, I explored a little bit, went up towards Springfield north of here and I found a, a little creek somebody was telling me about called Ebenezer Creek. You heard of that? And I drove over there and uh, just a real beautiful place. And so I didn't catch a fish. I didn't try real hard today, but I was just kind of scouting it out, you know. And so one of the first things uh, my son, my eight-year-old, one of the first things he asked us when we pull into a new place, he says, Dad, reckon there's a place we can wet a line around here, you know. And I said, probably. But uh, uh, anyway, it's a beautiful area, beautiful uh, part of the country and a rich history right here in this part of the country as well and so Hebrews chapter number 12 is where we're going to start and uh, tonight uh, I just want to just again say how thankful I am for the opportunity to be here we've enjoyed good fellowship and and uh, good food so far and I think it's going to be uh, that way for the remainder and so we, we're just very thankful to have an opportunity to be here for this meeting and so Hebrews chapter number 12 have you found your place there? Now tonight I'm going to preach on a subject that I generally uh, will preach uh, something along these lines in every meeting because it's something that we all struggle with, what I'm going to look at tonight, and uh, and we're going to look at it and just get the context of it and and, uh, and just notice what the scripture says. Notice in Hebrews chapter number 12, I want to identify a couple of different things that, that are interesting to me. Now when I was in Bible college, uh, I got saved when I was 27, I went off to Bible college when I was 28, I was green, man, I really was, and... And uh, I still am in a lot of ways. And so I know I'm younger than them what I look, but I was really learning a lot. And so uh, one of the arguments that would come up sometimes in the dorm room was, who wrote the book of Hebrews? And, uh, and some Bible college students, you know, they're just out of high school, really, a lot of them. And so they're college age, and, and they know a lot. And I learned a lot from them because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. But they would talk about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Did Paul, was Paul the human author of the book of Hebrews? You know, was it... Apollos, it could have been Apollos, maybe it was somebody else, and, and, uh, and I would just get fed up, and I would say, Hey, I know who wrote the book of Hebrews. God wrote the book of Hebrews, amen. God, in times past, in sundry's times, in divers' manners, spake, and, uh, and then it says in verse 2 that, And in this day has spoken unto us by his Son. That's chapter 1, verse number 2, not chapter 12, verse number 2. But, uh, but God wrote it. It's God-inspired. And really, he gives us three different looks in chapter number 12, and he gives us three different cautions that go with the look. And so, uh, look at verse 1. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so the idea here is of an arena, uh, a large arena, and, uh, and thousands and thousands of people are there to spectate and uh, and. It's a great cloud of witnesses, and this really refers to a look back. And, uh, and one of the problems that uh, is being addressed in the book of Hebrews is that there, there were some who professed Christ as Savior, and uh, then they would draw back. Maybe they would put down their profession of faith, maybe because there was some family pressure, and that doesn't happen a lot in America, it does happen some. I led a guy to Christ about two weeks ago down in Florida, and he began to tell his family about what he'd done, and they were all Jehovah's Witnesses, and they, within a week they had disowned him. And so he faced some severe persecution, really, for uh, trusting Christ as Savior, and so uh, it was that way for these first century uh, Hebrew Christians. It was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on them, and the book of Hebrews is really a book to encourage them to stand fast, and basically the writer says, hey, there was a whole great cloud of witnesses before you that followed the Lord and served the Lord, and God took care of them. And so the first look is a look back. Now look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So if verse number 1 is a look back, what's verse number 2? It's a look up towards heaven. And, uh, and, and, I, and, and some of the greatest counsel that I ever got was from an older preacher. He said, just keep your eyes on the Lord. Just keep your focus on the Lord. And it sounded trite and, you know, it just kind of sounded cliche. But there's a lot of good truth and reality in that. We get distracted with a lot of different things. And the scripture says, looking unto Jesus, the author. And so that's a look up. Now, come all the way down, come all the way down to verse number 15. You have uh, another word there. Uh, the Bible says in chapter, in chapter 12 and verse 15, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, I don't believe that's referring to losing your salvation. I believe once you're born again and you're born into the family of God, you're always going to be a child of God. The fellowship may change, but the relationship will never change. You'll always be a son or daughter or a child of God once you're born again. And so I don't think it's referring to falling from grace in the means that you'll lose your salvation. But it is a warning. It says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. And here's a caution, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. So in verse number one, we have a look back. In verse number two, we have a look looking unto Jesus, and here in verse number 15, you know where this look is? It's a look in. It's a look in at the heart, and it's a very, very, uh, very severe warning. You, You see the word used twice, lest any man fail, and then it says, lest any, what's the next word? Root, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Here's one thing I'm learning, Pastor Springer, That everybody, at some point in time, whether you're a teenager, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're young, or whether you're old, everybody at some point in time struggles with this root of bitterness. It's a battle. Now, when I'm talking about bitterness, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, when you're when your kids or you take a kids to the restaurant, maybe your grandkids and they order water with a lemon and my kids used to ask for the lemon. They wanted to take that lemon and I love to watch them put that lemon in their mouth and bite down on it. It set their teeth on edge and boy, they would grimace and we would laugh. You know, that's what you do when kids do that. I'm not talking about tonight about bitterness or sourness in your in your mouth. I'm talking about bitterness or sourness towards somebody else in your heart and uh, and everybody battles bitterness and and uh, and we're going to look at it tonight and how to get victory over it so let's pray together we'll dive right in let's pray please father we thank you for your goodness and thank you for uh your mercy and your grace and thank you that lord that lord none of our problems are new problems and i thank you that the bible is not an old-fashioned book it's a timeless book it's for every generation And every age because our problems have not changed. And I pray that, Lord, you'd help us tonight if there's somebody here that's struggling with bitterness in their heart. Maybe they've been holding on to that root of bitterness for a long, long time. I pray that tonight you'd give them victory over bitterness so that, Lord, they could really enjoy uh, what being right with you and right with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, what it's all about and Lord, it is just just a little bit of revival truth, and I pray that you'd help us and as we look at it, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's really simple tonight. I'm going to give you three, uh, three points, you know, because every preacher has to have three points. No poetry tonight, though. But I want us to look at this verse specifically, and I want us to notice about this root of bitterness, I want you to notice, number one, the hidden aspect. The hidden aspect about bitterness. The Bible says very clearly, lest any... Root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Now, I don't think that God could have used a better word to describe bitterness than a root. Uh, You know what's kind of significant about a root? Now, there's always exceptions to the rule, but most of the time, a root, where do you find a root? That's right, it's underground. You can't really see it. Now, sometimes you can see root systems from a tree, but by and far, uh, you see the tree or you see the fruit, but very rarely do you ever see the root system of a tree or a plant. You say, why is that important? Well, you could be here tonight and I'm glad you are here and I could be here tonight standing in front of you and you know what? I could be harboring a root of bitterness in my heart and I can be trying to hide it from you because the roots always underneath the surface. It's hidden. And so that's how the root of bitterness works. It starts out small, and it's in your heart, and uh, and just begins to grow over time. There's bitterness and unforgiveness there, and uh, and and we think that it's easy to hide because it's under the surface. It's interesting about a root. Our roots are stubborn. Uh, they tell me if you have a garden, I don't have one because we live on the road most of the time. But they tell me if you have a garden, you have to weed the garden. Now, if I was going to weed the garden, what, what I would do is probably I, anything that looked like something other than, than what I was trying to grow, I would just kind of pluck it up or cut it down. But they say that you can't really get w- rid of the, the weeds until you get down to the roots and get out the roots. And sometimes those roots could be really, really stubborn. And, uh, and if you have a root of bitterness in your heart... Can I tell you, and you probably already know, it's easy to hide from everybody, but it's stubborn. Uh, You say, well, I'm justifying my bitterness. You don't know what that person said to me. You don't know what that person did to me. And that root of bitterness, it's under the surface. It's hidden and it's stubborn. It's interesting also that uh, if you plant a garden and you allow those weeds to grow up and those roots to go down, you know what's going to happen? They're going to suck. Those weeds are going to suck the nourishment and life out of all of those plants around them. Can I tell you, bitterness will suck the spiritual life out of you and your spouse and your family and your church family it'll suck the nourishment it'll suck the life out of every body around you and God explains bitterness as a what it's a root it's hidden it's stubborn uh, sometimes a root will get exposed, and you know what happens uh, if you're walking along a trail or something by the river or a pond and, and the roots get exposed? You know what happens sometimes? They'll trip you up. You ever tripped on a root before? And so this matter of bitterness, everybody struggles with it. Everybody battles it, but it's the number one hindrance to spiritual growth in our churches across this land. It's this root of bitterness. So point number one is the hidden aspect. God says uh, look diligently lest any man fail the grace of God lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Now take your Bible please and turn all the way back with me to an Old Testament book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. You say where in the world is the book of Ruth? Well find Joshua and Judges and keep turning past Judges. You'll come to the little book of Ruth there in the Bible. And so point number one was the hidden aspect. God explains bitterness as a root. Number two, I want you to notice the human aspect. Uh, What's bitterness really look like? Can you really hide it? I mean, is it really just affecting you? Uh, uh, We'll look at that here. We want to look at Ruth chapter number one. This is the human aspect or an example of somebody that's struggling Uh, with bitterness. Now, uh, Ruth chapter number 1 in verse 1, notice what the Bible says. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Now, let me ask you a question. The days that the judges ruled in Israel were those good days or bad days? They were bad days. At least twice in the book of Judges, the Bible says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Sounds like a modern day commentary to America, doesn't it? Well, if it feels good to you and you're not hurting anybody, well, you just help yourself and do what you want to do? And that's not a sign that we're on the right track. It's a sign that we're on the wrong track. And so that's the way it was in the days of Ruth. It was when the judges ruled. Notice what the next phrase says. There was a, that, that there was a famine in the, in, a, in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So it's interesting. Uh, how did God judge his people many times back in the Old Testament days? Famine. That's how he would get their attention. He'd withhold the rain. And we looked at that just a little bit uh, yesterday morning. But here, I believe God's people, because they've turned their hearts away from God, they're under judgment. God has withheld the rain. And so there's a famine in the land. And the Bible says a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, Bethlehem, Judah, is a pretty amazing uh, word. It means house of bread. Now, isn't that ironic? that there would be a famine, where? In the house of bread. And so the scripture says that this certain man went to sojourn. That's kind of He just went down to kind of temporarily stay in this place called Moab. Now, Moab uh, translates to this, the place of desire. Now, if you know anything about Old Testament Moab, it was not a place for a child of God to go. It was a worldly place. They had a different view on marriage. Uh, they had a different view on morality. They had a different view on, uh, child bearing and raising up children. And they worshiped false idols where they would take their firstborn and they would offer up their firstborn male to a god called Chemish or sometimes called Molech. And they would offer him, offer their firstborn son to this god and they would offer him and burn him alive as an offering to a false idol. Moab, the Moabites, hated the children of Israel. So historically and theologically and logically, this man could have went anywhere, but he should not have went to Moab. And so the Bible says the name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. Now, Elimelech means my God is king. That's a good name, isn't it? Uh, Naomi, you know what it means? It means the pleasant one or gracious one. And so what a sweet couple here. And the Bible says that uh, they had uh, two sons, Malon and Kileon, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And the Scripture says, And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. It's interesting. There's a play on words here, and you don't really see it unless you dig a little deeper. It says in verse 1 they went to sojourn. It says in verse number 2 that they continued there. And so the idea was they were going to go to Moab, they were going to look around. Maybe he was going to look for greener pastures, you know, because there's a famine in Bethlehem, Judah, and, and a man's got to provide for his family, right? And so he goes down there just to check it out, and they're just going to look. They're not going to stay, but you know what? The Bible says they continued there. Have you ever heard this saying before? Sin will take you farther than what you want to go. It'll keep you longer than what you wanted to stay, and it's always going to cost you more than what you're willing to pay. I believe that this man, this husband, this dad, I believe he led his family right out of God's specific will into a place of desire, into the place of this man's own will, and judgment was about to come upon this man's family. Notice what verse 3 says. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left under two sons. Now that's bad, isn't it? I mean, you think about it, you put yourself in her sandals. She's a stranger in a foreign land. She grew up in, in Bethlehem, Judah, in Israel, uh, knowing and worshiping the God, the Creator God of heaven, Jehovah God. And now she's followed her husband into this land of idolatry. By the way, men, men, be careful how you lead your family. Because if we make decisions based purely on the material or the physical, we can very easily lead our families out of the will of God and into the place of our own desire. And it doesn't just affect you, it affects your whole family. And so uh, Elimelech dies and, and she's got her two boys, verse number 4. And they took them wives of the women of Moab and the name of the one was uh, Orpah. I always want to say Oprah, it's not Oprah. But they, they're there, and, and, and let me ask you this, uh, did the Israelite, did they from the Lord have liberty to marry outside of the Israelites? No, it wasn't a racial issue. It wasn't a skin color issue. You know what it was? It was a relationship issue. Because God knew if they married outside of of their nations, that those other people would turn their hearts away from the true God to idols and a heathen God. So, these young men, you could say they married outside of the will of God. And so, uh, one is Orpha, the other Ruth, and and the Bible says they dwelled there about 10 years. Wow. What, well, just a little side trip turns into a decade and and the scripture says in verse number 5 and Malon and Kyleon died also both of them and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now that's really bad. And uh, here she is, she's a stranger in a foreign land, she's a far far away from from her people, her family, who she grew up with. And uh, and she's there all alone. And tragedy strikes. Her husband's no longer with her. And her two sons are no longer with her. And uh, the Bible says that she arose with her two daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. Now notice this. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them what? Bread. Now let me ask you this did Elimelech ever really need to take his family out of Bethlehem, Judah, and move to wicked Moab? Absolutely not. All he had to do is stay put and stay faithful. You know what, sometimes we think, well, we need to leave, and we need to leave. And sometimes God moves a person from one place to another. But be careful and make sure you understand and discern if it's the will of God for you to move or not to move. And what are your motives? What, what are you really trying to accomplish? And so it's very interesting. They never really had to leave. And you know what, sometimes you go through seasons of life and it's like a famine. Spiritually, it's like a famine. You feel like, well, I haven't grown for a while and things have been hard for a while and things are somewhat hard at church and it's just hard to do this and it's hard to be faithful. But can I tell you, you just be faithful and be where God has you and you serve the Lord with the right attitude and one day, guess what? God will bring the bread back. And a lot of times we move and we never even have to move. And so uh, she hears this, and so verse 7, Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said in verse 8 uh, unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. You know how, how ladies are sometimes, you know. And uh, But it's all tears and sensitivity, and, you know, they could probably make a Hallmark movie out of it, whatever. And so she's sending them back on their way, and, and uh, she says in verse 11, "'Turn again, my daughters-in-law, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands?' And she's like, "'Girls, go home, okay?' I don't have any more boys. What are, you, what are you going to do? Wait around until I have more children? She says in verse 12, Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Look at verse 13. Would you tarry for them till they were grown? She basically says, If I was married and I gave birth to two more boys, would you hang around for 18 or 19 or 20 years until they were old enough to be your husband? She says, Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes. Now notice what she says, That the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Now, I'm not trying to make light of her, her struggles. I mean, she's lost her husband. She has lost her two children. She's been a stranger in a foreign land. I understand it's probably difficult, but if I read this, it's not hard to see that Naomi is struggling with the root of bitterness. Uh, and She says, the hand of the Lord has gone out what? against me. Now let me give you a few indicators that you might be struggling with the root of bitterness. Number one, bitter people usually don't give good advice. You you see it right here. Look at verse number eight. She says, go return each to her mother's house. She says in verse 11, and Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Verse 12, she says, turn again, my daughters. Go your way in verse number uh, 15 she says return thou after thy sister-in-law and so you know what a bitter person does a bitter person does not give good advice you know why they're bitter and and you know how they see their work the world they see the world through the eyes of a bitter person They're critical of everything. They're critical of their spouse. They're critical of the pastor. They're critical of this. They're critical of that. And it seems like the whole world is against them. And if that's the way you think or that's the way you feel, you might be struggling with the root of bitterness. She says at least three or four times, girls, go back to where you came from. And I tell you, Moab's not the kind of place that you want your daughters to be living And she tells them to go back, go back to your mother's house. Go back to where you came from. Go back to wicked Moab. She's not giving good advice. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 8. She says, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead. Well, what's she referring to? Her sons. And a bitter person, number one, never gives good advice. And a bitter person, number two, always focuses on the negative. Woe is me. Have you ever met somebody that lights up a room when they leave? (laughs) Evidently you have. And, and there's some people that you're almost afraid to ask them how they're doing because they're going to tell you they're going to tell you man this is bad and this is wrong and and this hurts and woe is me and the world's falling apart and and man did you see so-and-so slap so-and-so yesterday and it's just all a mess you know the world's just a terrible place and it's not getting any better and tomorrow it's going to be too hot and Thursday or Friday it's going to be too cold and and you can just never keep them happy they don't give good advice they're critical and they're always focusing on the negative you know why because they're bitter. They're struggling with bitterness. I like what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, instead of complaining that our rose bushes have thorns, we ought to be thankful that our thorn bushes have roses. And you know what, it's a matter of perspective, it really is. And so and so, she's not giving good advice, she's focusing on uh, the negative. And so uh, you come to verse 15, and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people, she's referring to Orpha, and unto her, what, little g, gods, return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee. Or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. How do you argue with somebody like that? You can't. And so here Ruth is. Ruth is determined to follow Naomi back to where uh, the Lord brought her from. And she says in verse number 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left speaking unto her. She, she just quit trying to argue with her. In verse 19, So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they, come, when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? Now how long has she been away? She's been away for 10 years. And uh, have you ever met somebody that you haven't seen in a long time? I remember meeting guys I went to high school with that I was really good friends with, and I didn't get saved until I was 27. But I've crossed paths with them a couple of times, you know, uh, 10 or 12 or 15 years after I've been in high school with them. And uh, and you know what? Sin will take its toll. And you're like, is that so-and-so? I mean, they They look old. And I can remember when they were growing this way, and now they're you no, know, we won't go there. <laughs> but but we look, and you know, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And here she comes back back in. Now, what's Naomi? What's her name mean in Hebrew? It means the pleasant one or gracious one. They see these two strange people coming back in, and they said, Is this Naomi? Are you kidding me? And uh And you know what, when you're struggling with a root of bitterness, you don't give good advice, you focus on the negative, and you rob yourself of the peace and inner joy that only God can give. And everybody sees it, you know. And we think sometimes that we can hide this root of bitterness and it won't affect everybody else. It won't affect my husband or my wife. It won't affect my children. It won't affect those people. It's only going to affect me. And we think we're fooling others, but in reality, we're only fooling who? Ourselves. Everybody sees it. They say, is this Naomi? Notice verse 20. And she said, call, and she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. You know what it means in Hebrew? It means bitter. And she's not even trying to hide it. She says, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Number one, bitter people don't give good advice. Number two, bitter people don't, uh, they, they tend to only focus on the negative. Number three, bitter people deprive themselves of living joyful lives. Number four, bitter people, you know what they do? they often blame others for their problems. They blame other people. And, uh, and it's interesting to me, she's not just blaming another person. She, say it, she says, the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. You know who she's blaming? She's blaming the Lord. Can I tell you, I, the Lord's not the source of 99.9% of my troubles. Can I tell you, the devil is not even the source of 99.9% of my problems. We like to blame, as independent Baptists, we like to blame everything on the devil, but it's not the devil that'll stop you. It's that little grain of sand in your shoe that'll get you. And I'll tell you, my number one problem, and your number one problem, is it's me. And uh, and she's blaming, she, you, know, you know who she's blaming for, circumstances? She says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. My pastor used to say this, that mankind, human nature, has a Ph.D. in justifying their sin. We do. We can justify whatever we want to. When I got saved, I got saved when I was 27 years old. And I, was, I started smoking cigarettes when I was 12. And, uh, and they're very addictive. And when I got saved, you know, I didn't see a Bible verse that says, Thou shalt not smoke Marlboros," you know. And, uh, and I used to justify it. Well, the Lord grew it, you know what I mean? Uh, the Lord grew it, so it must be for our enjoyment. I'm thinking to myself, you know, get a brain. And, uh, but we justify our sin. I think about Adam and Eve. It goes all the way back that far when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and Adam came down in the cool of the day and uh, he begins to ask questions, Adam, where art thou? And, and he sees Eve and he talks to Eve. Eve, what's going on? And the first thing she said, it, w- it wasn't me. What'd she say? It was the, the serpent. Everybody blames things on the snake. Everybody hates the snake. And, uh, and then the Lord comes to Adam. Adam, Adam, what's going on here? He says, "What? Well, me. It wasn't me. It was the woman. And you know what he says after that? It was the woman that thou gavest to be with me. And so Naomi's doing the same thing. None of our problems are new problems. When we're bitter, we're critical. We don't give good advice. We only focus on the negative. We deprive ourselves of joyful living. And bitter people always blame others. And ultimately, they blame God for their circumstances. Notice what she says in verse number 21. She says, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. I think this might be the saddest, really the saddest indicator that somebody's struggling with bitterness. They are totally, totally blind to the blessings of God. Totally blind. I mean, she's back. She's alive. God's been taking care of her people. And uh, and yes, there was tragedy, but she comes home and she goes, Oh, God's been so bad to me. And I went out full and I've come home empty-handed. Let me ask you this. Did she come home empty-handed? She didn't come home empty-handed. You know what she had? She had an on-fire-for-the-Lord convert out of Moab, followed her all the way back to Bethlehem, Judah, and said, your God is going to be my God. Can I tell you, I'd like to have me a convert out of Moab following me around the country right about now. But you know what? A bitter person is totally blind to the blessings of God. We focus on everything, all the bad, nothing is good enough, everything's just wrong. And you know what? Naomi is struggling with the root of bitterness. So number one is the hidden aspect. How does God describe bitterness? He describes it as a root. You can hide it underneath the surface. But eventually it's going to drain the life out of you and everybody around you. Eventually that root is going to trip you up. He gives us a human aspect, what it looks like when a person's really harboring bitterness. But let me give you point number three. This is the hard aspect of bitterness. What do I do with it? How do I extract the root? Well, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number four. We'll begin in verse 29. The scripture says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister what? Grace unto the hearers. You know what that means? That means if I'm sitting up here with Brother Forrest, and it's ten minutes before the service, and we're sitting on the pew right here in the front, and we're facing this way, and you come and you sit down about where Simon and his wife are, but we don't hear you or, or see you sit down, and we're not aware that you're there, And say we're talking about somebody else. And the things that we're saying, it might even be true. But you're listening to us and you're listening to us say negative and bad things about that person. And it's painting a picture of that person in your mind, whether we do it on purpose or not. You know what that is? That's corrupt communication. It's not seasoned with grace. It's not building up. It's tearing down. You know what? Our words ought to be helpful and not harmful. And so he continues, he says, in verse number 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. Don't uh, limit him or resist him, but yield to him. And then in verse 31, we deal with it right here. This is the extraction, this is the hard aspect of the root of bitterness. Verse 31, let all, there's our word, bitterness and wrath. And anger and clamor. You say, what are all those words? All those words are any type of anger or frustration that you can think of. Now, this is an angelic-looking crowd right here. You probably never get frustrated. But, but this talks about internal anger. Uh, this talks about external anger. Uh, this talks about anger that's deeply rooted in the heart, and it gives us the first word, bitterness. It says, "And wrath to boil over, anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender, tender-hearted." And then here it is, forgiving one another. You say, "Is that it?" Well, it sounds really easy, doesn't it? And uh, and usually most some of the most simple concepts in the Scripture, are the hardest to obey. And so you say, well, I'm struggling with bitterness. How do I get rid of this root of bitterness? Forgive. It's really that simple. It's really not that complicated. Even my six-year-old and eight-year-old, they could understand that, and yours could too. Let all bitterness and wrath, and and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, here's the key. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, that's interesting to me. It doesn't say forgive because you've been forgiven, does it? Now, there's an aspect of forgiveness. If you've been forgiven of your sin and your Heavenly Father has forgiven your trespasses, then in turn you ought to be able to forgive men their trespasses and their sins. But that's not what this verse says. It doesn't say forgive because you've been forgiven. It says what? Forgive even what? As you've been forgiven. Let me ask you a question. Uh, when you come to the Lord Jesus in confession of your sin, when does He forgive you? Immediately. Immediately. He, he's not harboring bitterness towards you. Uh, and and if you're going to forgive even as God for Christ's sake forgave you, you know how you have to forgive? You forgive immediately. Immediately. If you were to close your eyes right now and some person's face would flash in your mind, maybe it's an ex-spouse, maybe it's somebody from your childhood, maybe it's somebody that you used to go to church with, and that, that face or that name flashes before your eyes, and there's unforgiveness there. Can I encourage you, don't let the root grow any deeper. You're robbing yourself from your full potential and what you could be in the Lord, and you forgive immediately. I'm glad God doesn't put me on probation. But but you know how we forgive people? We say, well, I'll forgive, I'll forgive Brother So and so, but I'm gonna watch him for a while and see see if he's really serious about how he's wanting to change his life. You know what? God doesn't put you on probation. Forgive immediately. Here's another aspect forgive even as you forgive immediately, and then you forgive completely. Completely. That means you're not gonna keep digging up old stuff. From the past. You say, but it's lodged there. I don't know how to get rid of it. You choose not to hold that person to whatever they've done for you. You choose to release it. That's what forgiveness is. You make a choice, and you do it immediately, and you do it completely. Uh, have you ever heard somebody say this? Well, that's water under the bridge. Yeah, we're good. You know what I mean? Or they say, you know what? We, we buried the hatchet on that years ago, and you know, you know what? We're good. Here's the problem with that. A lot of times we wire the bridge with dynamite just in case we need to get back there and blow it up, you know. Or or we bury the hatchet and we'll leave about this much of the handle sticking up just in case of emergency. You know, we got to get back to the hatchet. Let me ask you this, is that forgiveness? It's not. You forgive immediately and you forgive completely. You say, preacher, you have no idea what that person has done to me. You're right, I don't need to know. But nothing that anybody has ever done to you or, can, or to me can compare what we have done to the Lord Jesus. Uh, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. He carried that burden all the way to Calvary. And there he hung between heaven and earth. Boy, the, 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 the crown of thorns was flattered and beat down on his head. And, and boy, they took the cat of nine tails and ripped it across his back. You couldn't even recognize him even as a man. They nailed him to the cross suspended between heaven and hell. And on his way to Calvary, you know what he said? He said, Father, wow, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the only way to extract the root of bitterness is to forgive immediately and forgive completely. It's done. It's done. My mother and my father were divorced before I was a year old. And I didn't meet my dad till I was about eight or nine. He was down in L.A., not Los Angeles, but lower Alabama. And my mom, she moved back with me. And we were in, in just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and that's where I grew up, a good part of my life. And... And I didn't meet him until I was about seven or eight, maybe a little bit older than that. And, and, uh, and my mom, she got remarried when I was about two or three years old. So I, I thought my stepdad was always my dad, and I carried his last name for, for many years. But then my mom got a second divorce. And I had a half-sister. That was really hard, you know. And, and this is the world's mentality on divorce. Well, the kids are resilient, and they'll pull through. No, they won't. It, it affects them, it it, it, it it does not help them, it, it hardens them, and it hinders them for the rest of their life. Now, God can help get the victory over that, and He delights to do that, but by and far, unless the grace of God steps in, that child is going to have struggles for the rest of his or her life. And you know what? I began to get bitter. Not just towards my mom and my stepdad and her new boyfriend. I began to get bitter really towards all adults. And you know what happens to a young person? The walls go way up. And then it was interesting, when I was born again when I was 27, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And uh, I I began to experience what it was like to have all of my past sins forgiven, present and future sins. And, And boy, I was just marveling at God's mercy. And you know what God began to teach me? I was bitter. I was bitter towards my mom. I was bitter towards my dad. And you know what? God was impressing upon my heart. If I can forgive you, it's the least that you can do to forgive them. And by the way, I wasn't there. I don't know all the details. And you know what I did? I I forgave. Uh, and to the best of my ability I'm not bitter towards my dad I have a relationship with him I'm not bitter towards my mom she was saved a number of years ago and and uh, she used to think we were crazy now she's in our corner you know and she she's encouraging us and uh and it's just amazing but you know what there's nothing like getting that weight off of your chest that you carry for so many years it's burdening you down it's making it hard for you to enjoy life it's just a heavy heavy burden and you know how you get rid of it you just get rid of it immediately you say lord i forgive i forgive the best i can i'm releasing and i'm just getting rid of that burden i'm forgiven immediately and i'm forgiving completely now now watch this you get it right this way with the lord but it's not right until it's settled right then you know what you do you got to get it right this way you get it right with the lord and if it's humanly possible. It's not right until you get it right with that person. You might have to make a phone call. You might have to make a visit. You might have to cross the aisle and you might have to apologize. You might have to humble yourself. You might have to say, you know what, I forgive. You say, well, I'm trying to do that and I've tried to do that, but they won't listen. Hey, you can't control their obedience, but you know who obedience you can control? You ought to be able to control your own. And and I'll tell you sometimes what this looks like. You call a person up or or you visit sister so-and-so because she made you mad and she did something terrible, or brother so-and-so, or maybe a spouse, maybe some it was just just a bad deal, and you contact them and you say, you know what? I remember what happened. And for a long time I've really been struggling with this root of bitterness towards you. But I just want to let you know that, that I've gotten it right with the Lord, and He's forgiven me, and I just want to let you know I'm forgiving you. And you know what happens? We call it revival. It's that it's that reset button where everything gets back to where it should be. Uh, God's released you from the bitterness and you've released that person. And you know what can happen? Joy and spiritual growth and the joy of your salvation. And life begins to get fresh and anew again. And it's normal Christian life. We call it revival. But you got to get rid of the root of bitterness. But it's hard. It's really, really hard. There was a young lady. Her name was Charlotte Elliot, And she grew up many, many years ago. And all she wanted to do as a little girl, all she wanted to do was serve the Lord with her life. That's all she wanted to do was serve the Lord. Well, when she became a teenager, she contracted a debilitating disease that crippled her for the rest of her life. And as she began to grow as a woman, uh, she began to get very, very bitter at everybody. And she she got so bitter, even towards the Lord... That, to her own admission, she began to even doubt that she was even saved, and so she sat. She sat down at a table with a friend of hers, and just kind of opening and and bearing her heart, and uh, and just telling about her her bitterness. and Her friend encouraged her, and he said, "Charlotte, you need to get this right." And she said, "She said, I don't know how to get it right. The bitterness is just too deep. It's just too deep. I don't know how to get it right." He said, "Charlotte, you gotta you gotta go and get this right with the Lord." She said, "I don't know how to go and get it right." He said, "Charlotte, you need to go just as you are." You just need to go just as you are. And so Charlotte got along with the Lord, and you know what she did? She confessed her bitterness. And it wasn't long after that that she sat down with a pen, and she began to write a song that a lot of us would be familiar with, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Now, we sing that a lot as an invitation to salvation, but you know what that is? That is really a return of the investment of a bitter person who got right with God. And God will use all kinds of people. He'll use old people and young people. He'll use white people and black people. But God will not use a bitter person. But God will use a bitter person who has been forgiven and granted forgiveness. And tonight, if you have bitterness in your heart, you need to extract the root of bitterness immediately and completely. Get it right with God And get it right with fellow man and experience new joy in Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please, in prayer? Thank you for coming tonight and thank you for listening so well. But perhaps there's somebody here tonight that's struggling with bitterness. you say, preacher, I've had bitterness in my heart for a long time. But tonight you want to get it right. And to the best of your ability, with God's help, you say, Preacher, I've been bitter, but God spoke to my heart, and I want to forgive immediately, and I want to forgive completely. And with the Lord's help, that's what I'm going to do. I've been bitter, but it's all going to change tonight. I'm going to extract the root of bitterness. I'm going to forgive immediately, and I'm going to forgive completely. Could I pray for you tonight? You'd say, God spoke to my heart about an area of bitterness that I need to get straight. Just hold your hand up high in the air and put it right back down. There's one. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? You say, preacher, I've been bitter and I need to get it right. Maybe you've been bitter towards your spouse. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Maybe a wife has been bitter towards her husband. Maybe there's teenagers that are bitter towards their parents. Extract the root of bitterness. Forgive immediately and forgive completely is there anybody else anybody else that would say i need to have victory over this root of bitterness and i'm forgiving just put your hand up and put it right back down anybody like that at all all right let's bow and pray together father we thank you for uh lord good words of instruction from the scriptures and lord it's really simple to read but it's really hard to practice and uh lord there's no doubt in my mind that there's struggles there's struggles for bitterness uh, with this root of bitterness, and Lord, if there's not right now, there will be one down the road, not too far, and I pray that, Lord, you'd help us to have victory. I pray for those, Lord, who are who are bitter, and they want to make things right. I pray that you'd give them the grace to do that, and Lord, if there's an opportunity to reach out to a person, and Lord, extend that forgiveness and make things right, I pray that, Lord, you'd, you'd open up every available opportunity, and Lord, I pray that you'd open up the floodgates of revival as we obey, and, Lord, help us not to harbor this root of bitterness, but, Lord, help us to be open and clean and pure vessels for you to work through. And I thank you for being so good to us, Lord. I thank you for all that you do, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Heads bowed eyes are closed. And Miss Sherry is going to play on the piano. And uh, if God spoke to your heart, if God spoke to your heart, if somebody can pray for you or with you, we're right here. If you want to spend some time at the altar,